mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, teaching teens important financial literacy skills, especially in underserved communities as perhaps the best strategy for breaking the cycle of poverty. Also this morning, to your health, to wrap up Lung Cancer Awareness Month, the importance of clinical trials in developing new treatments that offer better outcomes for patients. There's still time to share the warmth of the season with those in need. The annual Coats for Christmas campaign continues through this week. And just like out of a Hallmark movie, the community of Mount Blanchard comes together to celebrate Christmas in the Village this weekend. We'll get details. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, November 30th, 2022. So this is interesting. Does your boss expect you to socialize with your coworkers outside of working hours? I, I think we had a story, I can't remember, maybe a month or so ago about a, a woman who posted online that her boss was encouraging her and basically threatened her job if she didn't hang out more, socialize with her coworkers, you know, like after work uh, on a Friday when, you know, they go out to have a couple of drinks, happy hour on a Friday or whatever to kick off the weekend. And uh, this woman uh, didn't participate and her boss basically threatened her job. Well, apparently um, this is this could this could actually go all the way to a court case uh, in France, a man Recently won, recently won a wrongful termination lawsuit after being fired for not being a fun enough co-worker. Uh, the man opted out of company-organized social events because he felt the booze-fueled behavior of his colleagues was too crude. But the company claims that he was fired for professional inadequacy. It all comes down to socializing with your co-workers and whether your boss has the ability to actually force you to do so. Kind of interesting. Uh, the company has been ordered to pay this ex-employee over $3,000, and the court will decide later if his demand for an additional cool half million dollars in damages will be paid out. So I just thought that was uh, very interesting. Boss, encourage you to uh, socialize outside of uh, work hours. Can they really do that? Anyway, maybe it is a good thing, because I saw this on the uh, Newswire, encouraging men to maintain close friendships promotes their physical and mental health for the long haul. Studies found that men exhibiting lower levels of emotional intimacy and vulnerability, making it harder for them to build community and keep up with friends, scientists found that men who prioritize close relationships will stave off one of the most damaging human health threats, that being loneliness. Oh, just imagine that. I mean, this is amazing science here. If you have more friends, you are less likely to be lonely. It's crazy thought, isn't it? Man, that's... <laughs> I'm glad we've got this research here. Uh, research has shown disclosure of emotional distress, improved men's emotional well-being, increased feelings of being understood and resulted in less reported loneliness. So maybe it's a good thing. Maybe uh, your boss is on to something if they're uh, asking you to socialize after work. Maybe 
Maybe they uh, see something in you that you don't even see, and we need to do that, guys. So, I just thought that was uh, was kind of interesting. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. Midweek Wednesday, Team USA is on to the knockout round of the World Cup after a big 1-0 win over Iran yesterday. Um, I got to I gotta admit, I did not think, I watched the match yesterday, and I did not think that there was any way that the U.S. was going to make that one-goal advantage hold up through the entirety of the match. Last 25 minutes or so, they were just packing it in, defending like they're, Lives depended on it. All 11 in the defending half and they weren't even trying to push it forward and score a second goal. They were just bound to determine to uh, hold up, you know, make that one uh, nil advantage uh, hold up. Um, but it was a good win for uh, the USA and maybe it was their only win thus far uh, in the tournament. So far in the World Cup, the U.S. Uh, played to a 1-1 draw in their first game and a scoreless draw in their second match. Uh, but this one, they actually won. So they actually won a game. That was, uh, that was good. Maybe it was because they had their coffee. A new study by Japanese researchers suggests that in sport, caffeine is a pick-me-up and leads to uh, quicker running times and better performance overall. Every advantage against a competitor counts. When the International Association of Athletics federations recommends caffeine as a performance enhancing nutritional aid for athletes a limitation to this recommendation is that it isn't based on solid evidence regarding uh running specifically researchers from ritsumikian university i have no idea where that is uh set out to address the lack of evidence with a recent study on the impact of caffeine on sports performance. While studies, while previous studies have investigated the effects of caffeine on running activity, evidence from these studies is not conclusive enough to sport, support the world athletics consensus. A uh, majority of them have looked at uh, caffeine's effects on single sprints of less than 60 meters. Therefore, they say it was important to study the ergogenic effects of caffeine on longer uh, performance bursts, according to Professor Takeshi Hashimoto in a release from the uh, university. Long and short of it is they have found that uh, at least when it comes to running, which is basically a part of every sport or most every sport, when it comes to uh, running, caffeine is a pick-me-up. It does provide an advantage. I don't know if they're suggesting that it should be you know, a banned supplement, uh, performance-enhancing supplement, but I mean, that must have been what it was uh, yesterday. Team USA had their morning coffee before <laughs> before their uh, match. But good news uh, there. By the way, speaking of coffee, um, I'll tell you what, this is a story that will get you concerned with climate change. If you have not been concerned with climate change, think that this does not impact your daily life, then you'll want to hear about this. A drier world with more intense environmental shifts is making coffee harder to grow and more expensive. Now it's getting serious. The climate change impacts the availability and the quality of our coffee 
now this is getting serious. Fortunately, to this point, scientists and farmers have been working to keep the caffeinated substance safe so we can uh, keep enjoying our morning cup of joe. And while some people are excited about new markets full of synthetic or natural coffee replacements, farmers and scientists are working to find ways to adapt and conserve the important plant to ensure that it continues to thrive as a global commodity. But, they say, they are fearful that they may be fighting a losing battle. So, if there has ever been a reason that we have to address climate change. (laughs) Now it's getting serious here. Now we need to get serious about this. And a couple of other uh, sports items among the first things you need to know this morning. Deshaun Watson going to be back with the Browns having served his suspension. I guess, what is it, this weekend he's going to make his uh, NFL debut with the Cleveland Browns? Is it this weekend or is it next weekend? I know it's coming up here. Um, And this is kind of interesting Oh, yeah, it says the uh, Browns quarterback was reinstated Monday after serving an 11-game suspension for violating the NFL's personal conduct policy due to multiple allegations of sexual misconduct. Uh, He has reached settlements with 23 of his 25 accusers. But get this. uh, This is a, a report by The Athletic out on Sunday that several of Deshaun Watson's accusers are reportedly going to be in attendance Sunday when Deshaun Watson makes his return to the league as the Browns play his former team, the uh, Houston Texans. So apparently, some several of his, several, it doesn't say how many, it just says several of his accusers are reportedly going to be in attendance at the game. Talk about awkward. Hmm wonder how much TV time they will get, how much they're going to talk about this during the game on the uh, television broadcast. Hmm. It'd be worth tuning in for that alone. And uh, one other sports-related note on a much lighter side. This is all kinds of awesome. A Marine Corps veteran making the best out of her prosthetic leg... By turning it into a beer stein. <laughs> Did you happen to see this? It was at the uh, L.A. Lakers game yesterday. Annika Hutzler was seen caught on the Jumbotron at the Lakers game, pouring a beer into her prosthetic leg and then chugging it as the crowd cheered. <laughs> Uh, now, the story goes, uh, the backstory is this. Uh, Ms. Hutzler had her leg amputated in 2019 after a tumor could not be removed from her foot. Uh, she was, uh, she's a Marine Corps veteran, but it was not a, a military-related uh, injury, apparently. Uh, for her antics, chugging a beer from her prosthetic leg, she was awarded a gift card for being the fan of the game. The Lakers uh, lost to Indiana 116-115 in the game, but that was the highlight of the game, to be sure. That's crazy. There you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started.
WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, becoming mostly sunny today with temperatures falling to around 32 by noon. Partly cloudy and windy tonight, a low of 25. Hancock County health officials say there's been a recent spike in suspected overdoses in Finley and Hancock County. Hancock Public Health said three overdoses occurred within three hours of each other at separate locations. And the health department is reminding people that they have the overdose reversing medication Narcan available. It looks pretty clear to us that the more Narcan kits we get out there in the hands of folks who may potentially overdose, the less fatal overdoses we're going to have. People are being asked to spread harm reduction messaging in their circles in the hope of avoiding future overdoses. Get more information on the resources that the health department is offering on the website. The Finley Fire Department is sharing some safety tips to remember when you're putting up your Christmas decorations. The fire department says a heat source too close to a Christmas tree causes one in every four winter fires. When it comes to lights, the fire department says you should always read the manufacturer's instructions for the number of light strands to connect and make sure to replace any string of lights with worn or broken cords or loose bulb connections. Get more Christmas decorating safety tips from the Finley Fire Department on the website. Farmers in Van Wert County are upset by the disruption and destruction to their livestock after thousands of mink were illegally released from a farm. Farmer Kirsten Barthard said she entered her barn and saw the ground covered in feathers. One of her chickens was dead and a rooster was maimed by a mink. Barnhart says she was already considering filing a class action lawsuit to hold the mink farm responsible for the damage she says has been caused to her friends and neighbors' poultry. But after she found her own chickens dead, she says she's planning to reach out to lawyers and believes multiple farmers will join her. As for who actually released the mink, graffiti found at the mink farm suggests animal activists may have been responsible. The Ohio Department of Natural Resources Division of Wildlife has confirmed that three white-tailed deer tested positive for chronic wasting disease this fall. Two of the confirmed cases were found in Deer and Wyandotte County and one in Marion County. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says there's no strong evidence that CWD is transmissible to humans. I'm Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, this really should not come as a big surprise, but studies show that young people today, teenagers, high school students, display a shockingly low level of financial literacy, financial understanding. And there is a growing recognition of the need for financial education. Uh, the in, uh, Intuit and the Sioux Family Foundation uh, are helping to do something about that. And joining us this morning is David Zasada, Vice President of Corporate Responsibility at Intuit. Kind of put this in perspective for us, David, how big of an issue is a lack of financial literacy at the high school level? Well, first, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And to answer your question, it's actually a really big issue. You know, the fact is kids are not graduating high school financially literate. You might be surprised to hear that only 25% of students across the country today are required to take a personal finance course before they graduate. And that percentage is actually significantly lower um, for students who happen to be in lower income communities. So the vast majority of kids won't walk across that graduation stage um, with having any real knowledge on how to budget, how to save, how to manage credit, 
um, all at a time when they're about to make some pretty serious life decisions. Yeah, no question about it. And really, as we mentioned, this really should not come as a great shock because we also know that most Americans overall, in general, uh, display a strikingly low level of financial knowledge. And so, uh, again, it, it shouldn't be that big of a surprise that the teenagers aren't getting this knowledge either. So, as we mentioned, Intuit and the Seuss uh, Family Foundation uh, are trying to fill this need for financial education in the classroom. How? Yes, yeah, so Intuit is a global financial technology platform that supports over 100 million customers across our core financial products, which include QuickBooks and TurboTax and Credit Karma and MailChimp. And for the last 40 years, we've been helping our customers achieve financial confidence. So we are leveraging that experience to create free personal finance resources that we're making available to schools across the country. And we're partnering with the Soup Family Foundation on our personal finance workshops that we're making available broadly, but initially focusing on school district and underserved communities. Now, uh, some folks may already know the state of Ohio has actually recently made it mandatory uh, as a graduation requirement for students to have a credit in financial literacy for schools to offer these courses. But just like anything else, uh, the the quality of that instruction uh, is going to vary widely depending on the district. And so I think one of the significant things is you mentioned is that you are focusing efforts, especially on the rollout here, uh, on school districts in underserved zip codes. Yeah, that's correct. You know, we know that educational equity is a real issue across uh, the country. You know, the fact is lower income school districts simply don't have access to the same programs that other school districts do. And that's particularly true of a program like personal finance that isn't considered part of the core curriculum. So the bottom line is we believe that all students, regardless of what zip code they're in, deserve the opportunity to be financially literate. And this is also a way of building communities, building stronger communities and lifting uh, people out of uh, that cycle of poverty. That's absolutely correct. You know, there's research that shows that um, for those who participate in some form of personal finance education and become financially literate, they make better decisions around savings, they make better decisions around managing credit, and that actually helps them not only personally, but also ultimately to help the economy and the community. No question. Uh, So talk a little bit about uh, some of the specifics on these resources uh, that you are providing, and especially uh, the way this helps build confidence, not just for students, but also for teachers in in instructing their their students in this area? Yeah, so with the personal finance workshops, what we're doing first and foremost is, is really trying to inspire students to become financially literate and, and take a full semester personal finance course um, to help hopefully help them ultimately gain confidence in managing money. So the way that we do that is we introduce them to the basics around uh, personal finance, the terms, the concepts, using examples, and from there, what we do is we start to build on that, help them build real financial behaviors, confidence ultimately managing their money. And the way that we do that is through practice because that's the best way to build behaviors. So we use very interactive lessons um, that leverage real-world applications because we know that students learn best by doing. 
Let me ask you this, too, because this is an area like any uh, subject, uh, any learning subject, any school subject, whether we're talking about uh, reading or math or science or financial literacy, uh, it has to be about more than just the classroom to the extent that that families can reinforce those lessons at home. That's going to drive the point home and make uh, an education even more uh, effective. So what advice, what suggestions would you have for parents on how they can reinforce some of these uh, principles uh, at home? You know, this is really an excellent question because, you know, the fact is historically um, discussing money, discussing finances at home um, historically has been kind of a voodoo subject in a lot of households. Parents just aren't comfortable talking about it with their with their kids. And, um, you know, as a result, you know, in order for kids to get this type of education, you know, the best place for them to get that is in the school. So my advice to parents would be to have a conversation, you know, open up and talk to your, to your kids about, um, you know, about budgets, about taxes, et cetera. You know, I was really fortunate growing up. Both of my parents happened to be bankers. Mm. So they were great role models for myself and for my sisters and brothers um, you know, but not everybody has that situation. So it's really kind of inspiring parents to feel comfortable just having a conversation with, with their kids about it. And if nothing else, uh, you know, talking to your kids about why you have discovered over the years why this is so important, the mistakes that you've made, what you wish you'd have known at that age, and so on and so forth, those can, that can be very powerful stuff, even if you don't think you know enough to teach your kids, you can certainly uh, teach your kids how important it is. Absolutely. You know, the successes and failures that we all have, you know, should really be treated the same, and that's just as an opportunity to learn. Yeah. Again, David Sasada is Vice President of Corporate Responsibility at Intuit. Where do we get more information about these financial literacy uh, resources? Yeah, so teachers or administrators or even parents uh, can go to intuit.com slash financial basics where they will get access to information about all of our free resources, these workshops that we were talking about, as well as other um, resources that we make available. And they can even download the workshop materials that we use in schools. So that's the place to go. David, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. As we mentioned yesterday, November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month. So as we close out the month of November, we want to talk this morning about some of the latest advancements in the treatment of lung cancer, which, by the way, is the most deadly form of the disease by far. Uh, More fatal cases of lung cancer than breast, colon, and uh, prostate cancers combined. So... Uh, This is serious stuff. We're joined this morning by Dr. Dwight Owen, thoracic oncologist at the James, the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center. And Dr. Owen, you say that there have actually been more advancements in terms of treatment for small cell lung cancer in the past few years than there have been in the past several decades. Yeah, for the first time in years, we have multiple new approved treatments. The most recent advances 
involve immune therapies, which work different than in chemotherapy and has been introduced as part of the first-line treatment, meaning the first treatment that we offer patients with small cell lung cancer. Mm-hmm. We're also learning about different subtypes of small cell lung cancer, which may offer different ways to target uh, those cancers to offer patients better lives, longer lives, and more hope for, for patients with small cell lung cancer. Let me kind of step back a, a bit here real quickly. You know, we talk about small cell cancer uh, in, in this context, and we've heard the terminology of non-small cell lung cancer. What is the difference? Kind of break down the terminology here for us lay people. Yeah, that's a really important important question. So small cell lung cancer is less common and more aggressive than the most common type, which is non-small cell lung cancer. Okay. The, the names may be confusing, but they basically just refer to how the cancer looks under the microscope, but they are two very distinct and different diseases. Small cell lung cancer is often diagnosed at an advanced stage. Screening is uncommon, and it grows very quickly and can spread very quickly to other organs. Once we start treatment, the cancer tends to come back very quickly, and when it does, it's even more challenging to treat. So small cell lung cancer is a very challenging cancer to treat, and it's sometimes been been thought of as the forgotten cancer. So you mentioned some of the advancements. Talk about the importance of these clinical trials to continue to improve outcomes. Yeah, thanks. This is a really important point. So all of the advances, the immune therapies, they're all because of clinical trials. Uh, In clinical trials, we like to say that we're testing tomorrow's treatments today. Uh, Clinical trials is where we learn whether a treatment is safe and effective for a specific disease or type of cancer. And it's really the bedrock of our research uh, and, and the science that goes into treating patients with cancer. A clinical trial may actually be the best treatment option for a patient depending on their situation. I think there's a few misconceptions with clinical trials. Uh, the first is that they're not safe. Uh, you know, the, it's important that, that your listeners know that everything goes into the, from a regulatory standpoint to a monitoring tr- standpoint that safety is the top priority of patients who are enrolled in clinical trials. Mm-hmm. And the second is patients won't receive an active treatment, that they'll receive a placebo or a sugar pill or no treatment if they're enrolled on so-called the wrong arm. Uh, and in small cell lung cancer, we, we just do, do not do studies with placebo in early phase studies in small cell lung cancer. Patients receive the treatment that we're studying, or they receive the standard of care, or some combination, perhaps the standard of care plus the new treatment that we're studying. Hmm. So patients will be receiving treatment that we hope is active and potentially could be a treatment that patients would receive uh, as an FDA-approved drug uh, years later. Dr. Dwight Owen, thoracic oncologist at the James at the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center. Where do we get more information uh, about uh, this latest uh, research, these new treatments, and uh, the most important part, as we mentioned, the ongoing clinical trials that can help patients and uh, not only current patients, but future patients? Yeah, I would just encourage patients to talk to their doctor about what clinical trials are available uh, at their center or maybe nearby because there's uh, always clinical trials available at multiple major cancer centers throughout the entire country. So there is still time to share the warmth of the season with those in need. The annual Coats for Christmas campaign continues through this week. And uh, joining us this morning uh, from uh, City Uniforms and Linens and City Apparel, Rich Kramer, Melissa LaRocco, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We were just saying before we went on the air, it's almost like Mother Nature knew that we were going to be talking about Coats for Christmas uh, because it's been kind of mild and all of a sudden we get this cold day that reminds us of how important this is. Exactly, yep. (laughs) 
Yeah. Windy and cold. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this has been an ongoing thing for, golly. We're going on our 35th year. 35, 35 years. I was going to say, I know it's been like two, three decades. Um, and it, every year, it is just amazing to see the community response and the outpouring. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, hats off to Missy. She runs our uh, Coats for Christmas committee, and she puts so much into it. Um, but every year it's uh, it's an experience. We went through COVID. Um, we had to make a lot of changes through COVID. Um, but every year it's kind of like the pulse of the community. You can feel people getting excited, asking about when they can start making donations. You, you mentioned, uh, like everything, uh, things were kind of different during the pandemic uh are things kind of back to normal now is yeah for the most part things are back to normal obviously still if you're not feeling well please uh give us a call and don't come out to get a coat you can get some afterwards but um same thing with the volunteers if you're not feeling well please just call us in and say hey i'm i'm down today you know yeah but the uh, fact the fact that this uh, even continued through the pandemic, found a way to make this work, and, and so on again, speaks to the importance of uh, the need. Yeah, this. I yeah. mean, the this is one of my favorite uh, community events in all of Finley, to be honest, because it's really a collaboration. Like I run the committee, but there's tons of people on the committee, and there is churches that get involved and donate blankets, and the schools do collections for the coats and city dry clean or city uniform and apparel is now city. Sorry, city linen and we, uniforms we, cleans um, let all me these just, coats. We confused our community with these names, but <laughs> yes, city apparel and city uniforms and linen. Yes, and they continue to clean the coats even after Paul, his father, retired, mm-hmm. and they still continue to let us have a drop-off location there, yeah. uh, city apparel, and so it's just this great uh event where everyone comes together whirlpool donates the boxes and gardener trucking lets us use a truck and i mean it's just everyone coming together everybody has a has a role to play in this and uh so talk about how people uh can can donate because the donations continue through the end of this week through uh, friday right you can donate your used coats all the way through this friday there's several um locations where you can donate um all the city schools most of the county schools the library the mall there's plenty of businesses um that are collecting this year all coats need to then be collected by this december 2nd this friday Mm -hmm. um they'll be cleaned all next week that is quite the process i i've actually uh been in in the back with the big pile of coats to see how how big this is that is yeoman's work it is a truckload literally (laughs) thank you garner trucking it is a truckload of coats to be cleaned and it is it's it's pretty neat to see from the inside out Mm -hmm. um and by the way, you're always welcome to come see the process. <laughs> so next year when we have our interview, yeah. you can talk about how you saw all of these coats get loaded into this huge washer. So uh, how many how many coats at a time can you do? Uh, well, I can tell you uh, weights, right? Okay. So we do it by weight. Uh, we have a continuous batch tunnel washing system. Okay. So it's this huge tunnel washer, as it sounds. and. Mm-hmm. You have batch loads that you, you know, your capacity is about 150 pounds per batch. Okay. And we can so process about 2,000 pounds an hour through that. Wow. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, about 150 pounds at a time. Yeah. And it just continually washes throughout that. Uh, 
so you so you get all of those uh, coats uh, cleaned mm-hmm. and ready to go, and then the distribution is what next weekend? Yes, so it's Saturday, December tenth, anytime between nine and three, and then Sunday, December eleventh, between one and three. And it's going to be at the East East Branch YMCA again this year. Okay. Uh, So for the benefit of those who are in need or if uh, someone listening knows someone who is in need, what do they need to do? They just Just, need to come on out. There's no income check. There's nothing. We just want you to get a coat if you want a coat. And as you mentioned, uh, the the focus is coats, but you have uh, other stuff as well. Mittens, blankets, Blankets. socks. We've got yeah. some socks donated again this year. So the, and, the blankets are becoming more and more of a thing, it mm-hmm. seems. Yeah. And then what happens to the coats that aren't claimed? Yeah, so we package those up, and um, certain places will take an extra box if there's extra. So City Mission usually takes an extra box. Um, University of Finley is going to take one this year for their international students that might need some coats that aren't mm. able to come out. And then the majority of them go to Chopin Hall, and they're actually given out locally to everyone in our community for a couple weeks after the event. I think that is important to recognize that none of these will go to waste, that mm-hmm. they will all find new homes and uh, their uh, is the the need for every single coat that we can collect and there's a huge need i think we clean about 2000 coats yeah. since our yeah. last couple of years have been right around yeah. just about 2000 and, and that's yeah. actually why we try to restrict the turn-in dates because the first year we did it it was a three-week turn-in and i think i know it was about 15,000 coats it was ridiculous <laughs> so but it, it's beautiful how the, 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 like you said Everything that gets turned in gets used. Does get used. It, you know, yeah. it's there's a rhythm to it. Our community, mm-hmm. you know, it really truly fills a need. So it's just, it's a wonderful thing. Well, and then uh, again, even though we call it for Coach for Christmas and we're wrapping this up uh, so far ahead of Christmas, as we find out today, I mean, you know, the winter is going to gonna be here. And yeah. to get these coats to the people that need them before they need them is critical. So, yeah. Um, like you mentioned, 35 years. Could you have imagined? I know when your your dad uh, started this. I mean, just recognizing the need and saying, "We can do something about this." It's yeah. quite a legacy. It's it's inspiring. And and anytime you you bring it up around him anymore, he just starts crying <laughs> a little bit. Sorry, yeah. Dad. It's yeah. true, and it's so emotional, and it's it's so near and dear to him. And thank you, Finley, Ohio. You know, Finley is such a wonderful community. It's just. We're just a, a vehicle to help the people do what they do best, which is give back. It's- yeah. So what uh, what we're asking folks to do is uh, just go to the closet. Everybody's got a, a coat or two or three in the back of their closet they don't wear anymore, and just turn those in. That's it. Yep, and we're always in need of extra large coats and then little kid coats, too. That's, that's what I was going to ask, the the biggest needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Probably some extra, like 2Xs, 3Xs. If you've got the larger sizes, we're usually in need of those. And then some very small children coats, we usually need those as well. Um, to see a little girl or little boy be that excited about getting a coat that's been dry cleaned for them mm. and that is new to them is yeah. just priceless. Yeah. So, uh, so you actually have a website with more information, uh, all of the donation locations and the information on the distribution and all of that, right? Yes. And that is www.coatsforchristmas.org. 
So you know this is a big deal because you've got your very own website. <laughs> yeah. We've got a uh, link up to that on our webpage. Uh, go to goodmornings.net. And thanks to everybody, as you were saying, Rich, who, who get in, gets involved and, and plays a role in, in making this happen. Could not happen with all without the entire community's participation. And uh, you as well. You know, getting the word out. We appreciate well, you having us on. Uh, again, go to goodmornings.net for more uh, details. Rich Kramer, Melissa Loraco, uh, City Uniforms and Linens, the City of Peril, uh, kind of coordinating this ag- again, making it all happen. Coach for Christmas. Guys, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks for having thanks. us. Information that makes a difference. Good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. So we get through the uh, Thanksgiving holiday. Did you have any family drama at your uh, Thanksgiving gathering? I mean, it happens sometimes. You get family together and drama ensues. No matter what happened, what kind of drama you had to deal with your Thanksgiving gathering... If it didn't escalate to this level, consider yourself lucky. (laughs) The CEO of an engineering company bailed himself out of jail the day after Thanksgiving after being accused of drunkenly throwing an adult toy at his girlfriend. (laughs) Now, there is some Thanksgiving drama right there. (laughs) Drunkenly throwing... An adult toy at his girlfriend. The man admits to throwing something at her, but he said he does not recall exactly what it was. The police report says that the uh, toy that that he threw at her during the altercation left the woman with a bruise on her torso. The (laughs) the toy-wheeling executive has been charged with first-degree misdemeanor domestic battery and is pleaded not guilty. <laughs> well, they've got a story for next Thanksgiving. Hey, you remember the time when Bob threw a... Anyway. <clears throat> Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, you've all heard that old adage, never judge a book by its cover, right? Well, it turns out sometimes you can judge a book by its cover. Uh, a... Uh, a Brazilian man, 22-year-old Juan Roca de Silva, was recently caught breaking into a business in Sao Paulo. Uh, he was apprehended and charged with a robbery. Um, <laughs> it is noteworthy. It was the tattoo across his forehead that says, I am a thief and a loser. Tattoo across his forehead says, I am a thief and a loser. Why would anyone tattoo that across their forehead? Apparently he had that before he was caught breaking in and robbing the place. Um, (laughs) The crude tattoo uh, was apparently uh, inflicted on the uh, man after he tried to steal a bicycle from another individual who pinned him down and tattooed his forehead back in 2017. So, he's a repeat offender. Alrighty then. 
now, I guess you can kind of feel for the guy because if you've got a tattoo on your forehead that says, I am a thief and a loser, it does make it hard to get a legitimate job. You know, so you're not really left with a whole lot of career options at that point to actually become a thief. Really about the only thing left to you, I guess. Also from the uh, international file, the broken news. Uh, this from the UK where, or no, I'm sorry. Uh, is this from India? I'm sorry. I thought it was the UK. This is from India where rats feasted on a half million dollars of marijuana that had been seized by police and stashed in a criminal evidence warehouse. <laughs> oh my. The, uh, apparently the criminal evidence warehouse had a rat problem and, uh, the rats found something to chew on. <laughs> you know, all of these stoned rats wandering around the warehouse. Court documents report a rat infestation led to rodents scarfing down over 700 kilograms of illicit cannabis. But the precinct denies accusations of rats as the culprits in the missing marijuana. Instead, authorities are pinning the lack of evidence on recent rains and flooding. So, you know, in, in any case... The evidence in this court case went missing, and now there is a possibility <laughs> that those who were caught with the marijuana initially may go free. <laughs> See the stone rats wandering around the warehouse there. Uh, let's see here. We had the uh, story a little bit earlier. I don't know if you were with us earlier in the uh, program about uh, how new scientific study finds that walking in a winter wonderland is actually good for your mental health. But you got to be careful uh, because sometimes can get you into trouble. About 200 people who were ice fishing on a frozen lake in Minnesota had to be rescued on Monday after the chunk of ice that they were standing on broke off and drifted away. Uh, police received a 911 call about 1130 in the morning from Upper Red Lake in northern Beltrami County, Minnesota. First responders found the fishermen about 30 yards out into open water. Uh, using a drone, they found a section of the ice close enough that a temporary bridge could be constructed for some of the fishermen to cross back to safety. Others were too far out on the ice to realize what had happened and were contacted via a cell phone emergency alert. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're standing there just ice fishing, not realizing that the chunk of ice that you are standing on has broken away and floated out into the middle of the lake and you get a text message on your cell phone <laughs> alerting you to the emergency. Airboats, water rescue boats, and ATVs eventually got everyone to safety. Everybody is fine, but... Uh, Apparently, this is actually more common than you would think. Fishermen getting uh, trapped on these ice flows <laughs> in the middle of the lake in Minnesota. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, sometimes the best laid plans. A space-age self-cleaning toilet that was unveiled in San Francisco last week is already broken. Uh, Tyler Kralik with the design firm Smith Group Architects at the unveiling of this public toilet 
So it would be self-cleaning. It would be it would be a wonderful uh, would revolutionize public restroom facilities. Uh, they would always be clean because this was a self-cleaning toilet. Um, but now the stainless steel commode. <laughs> uh, this is the other thing. The architect said it was designed to be infinitely durable. It is designed to last forever. But uh, it turns out the commode lasted less than a week and could not withstand its own self-cleaning cycle. It wasn't vandalized. <laughs> it wasn't damaged by some criminal. It could not withstand its own self-cleaning cycle. By Friday, just three days after being unveiled, the commode appeared to not return to its sitting position after it self-cleaned. <laughs> the Paris-based company, J.C. Deco is supplying the toilets and their maintenance for free to the city in exchange for the right to sell advertising on some of the city's kiosks. The new public toilet is one of 25 that will eventually replace the city's older self-cleaning public toilets. If they can get it to work. If they can get it to actually work. There you go. Uh, some of the uh, odd and unusual uh, stories today's broken news report. This update, a service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. And yet another major brand just announced it's halting all social media advertising. The two most overused and abused words in advertising are truth and trust. They are the two most precious commodities for all brands, big and small. As an advertiser, you have to trust your partners to protect your brand's truth using the media consumer's trust. Radio, it's on. This message provided by WFIN. Time now for your daily download. The numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. And this is uh, definitely going to start a discussion, a debate. See what you think about this. It is that time of year for Christmas movies. And there are certainly, there's certainly no shortage of holiday films out there. We get new ones every year. Some are more memorable than others, of course. What is the best Christmas movie of all time? Now, a couple of years ago... They put out a, a survey of, of movie fans and asked that question. And the top pick among the fan survey from 2019, A Christmas Story, was number one from 1983, followed by A Charlie Brown Christmas, which, is that really a Christmas movie? Um, I guess we can call it a Christmas movie. Charlie Brown Christmas was number two. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life was uh, number three. Uh, Home Alone and Polar Express also right up there. But would those titles land on the pros lists? So this is kind of crunching the data according to the top critic recommendations, recommendations from movie critics from 10 of the leading movie review websites Online, when you crunch all of the numbers, the top critic recommendations, critics' recommendations from all of these movie review websites online, the five best, number five, 
Miracle on 34th Street, the original, obviously, with Edmund Gwynn, 1947. Miracle on 34th Street, number five. Home Alone is number four on the critics' list from 1990. Elf was number three. I'm surprised that didn't make the fans list. I really am. But uh, Elf from 2003 uh, was number three on their list. A Christmas Story, uh, Ralphie and the Gang, The Christmas Story, is uh, number two. You know they have that uh, that new sequel out, A Christmas Story Christmas. It's on HBO Max and uh, is getting pretty good reviews from everything that I've read. Uh, fans like it. Critics like it. They say it is a worthy sequel uh, to A Christmas Story. But the original Christmas Story from 1983 is number two among critics' recommendations for the top uh, Christmas movies of all time. And number one on the critics' list, best Christmas movie of all time. Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right. That's right. The Jimmy Stewart classic from 1946, It's a Wonderful Life. I think uh, Esquire magazine put it uh, best, saying few films define Christmas uh, the way It's a Wonderful Life does. And they go on to say, This feel-good movie will inspire the whole family, give new meaning to the ringing of the bells. And these days, this I think was the best point they made, watching an iconic black-and-white film also shows viewers of all ages, demonstrates that you don't need to have a fancy, digital, modern-day take to still win over an audience. Simple and traditional is always the way to go for Christmas. Hard to argue with that. So It's a Wonderful Life, uh, number one on the critics' list of best Christmas movies of all time. By the way, honorable mentions on that list go to The Grinch, and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> we play a clip of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, but if you're anything like my, like me, the first clip that comes to mind is something that we cannot, absolutely cannot play <laughs> on the radio. <laughs> you know the scene that I'm talking about. There you go. Best Christmas movies of all time. Today's Daily Download. So this weekend, the community of Mount Blanchard comes together to celebrate Christmas in the village. And Jackie Porcello, Karen Beard with us uh, this morning uh, from the uh, committee to put all of this on Christmas in the village. How many years has this been? Uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot That's here. Okay. But we I mean, started so. in um, 2012, but okay. we had a two-year um, Right, with the pandemic. Yeah, but, so uh, we're back. So 10 years ago, and uh, now getting back uh, into the uh, rhythm of this. And it was interesting, uh, folks may have seen, there's a piece in the uh, in the Courier the other, the other day, and you mentioned that uh, it, it's almost like uh, stepping into a Hallmark movie. Of course, you don't have the budget that they... But it got me to thinking, you know, the, the Hallmark movies spend all that money to make it look like they don't have a whole lot of money to and, and make it look like the village of Mount Blanchard, and you actually do it. So it's uh, it really is. It's kind of like walking into a Hallmark movie. It's kind of the idea. Yeah, we 
we believe that's true. In fact, we've talked to lots of people that <laughs> missed it so much over the past two years. Yeah. So we're very excited to be back. In fact, it is so much. It is. It, it is such the so much the quintessential small town Christmas celebration that it actually is getting national recognition, which is really cool. Tell us about this here. Yes, we were nominated for um, USA Today's um, top ten um, Christmas. Uh, markets and Mount mm-hmm. Blanchard was nominated, and lots of big city like Washington <laughs> D.C. and Pittsburgh and Denver are among on, many others on the list. So you've got all of these big cities, and then Mount Blanchard. Yeah, so, and we're fourth right now, and and fourth overall. So folks can actually vote for uh, their favorite. You can vote Every for day. Mount Blanchard. Uh, how do there's a, a website where you do that, right? Right. And yeah. and um, USA Today polls. Yeah. And so, if they go to the Mount Blanchard Beautification page, they can just Facebook page. They can just vote from there. Just click. Yeah, it's I was going to say because you have the link up uh, on that too. Right. So that is how did that end up uh, happening? Do you know? Um, Deb Fellows came. Um, she's a reporter from Washington D.C. She came and did a um, met with us at Mount Blanchard in I think it was September, and she wrote a nice article about Mount Blanchard for Heart and Soul. Okay, And the community heart and soul out of um, Vermont had asked her to come and speak to all of us. And then she talked to us and heard about Christmas in the Village and nominated us nationally. And that is awesome. That's rest is history. Yeah, very cool. Um, so whether you, it'd be really cool to end up number one on the list, but just being in the top 10 is is uh, pretty impressive. So uh, obviously, uh, they come from all over for this. Talk about everything that's going on Christmas in the Village. This is all happening on Saturday, right? On Saturday from mm-hmm. 2 to 7. And then we're doing a home tours on Saturday as well, mm-hmm. 3 to 7. There are five beautiful homes beautifully decorated homes that will be on the tour and you can get tickets at the old bank in Mount Blanchard or also at Millberry Market in Mount Blanchard. And then during Christmas in the village, Santa, of course, will come in on um, a beautiful float Mm-hmm. And then he will do pictures with Santa and and talks with um, all little children around the village. We really have a wonderful time with Santa. Everybody loves to see Santa. Absolutely. There are going to be horse-drawn wagon rides, music in the church, and Jackie will talk more about the music. Uh, the parade, of course, will have vendors There's going to be a bus with arcade games. This is something new. We've never done that before, but we think that it's going to be really nice for our teenage kids. Yeah. There's a petting zoo, uh, and it will even have a camel in it, Uh, kids' crafts, and food vendors, a puppet show, which Jackie will talk about. It's part of the music festivities. And we are having a decorating contest in Mount Blanchard for homes, and uh-huh. we will give a prize for that, All right, too. very so, good. So everybody working hard this week to uh, get their uh, homes all decked out yes. for the uh, holidays. Yeah. Uh, so uh, talk a little bit about the uh, the music, all kinds of music. Right. Yes. We are really fortunate to have um, some of these, or all of them, come. We have Lisa France. She's a violinist that's coming. A Dalsimer Gathering, they're playing. Montgomery Moore, he's a um, youth from the area. He's a pianist, and he is incredible. We have Tina Kelly. She's a 
um, flutist, Charlotte Dodge, pianist. Then we um, have Melly Pop Productions coming in. They're going to do two different puppet shows for the kids. She's incredible. Um, We have children's bell ringing where the kids all get to ring bells and um, play Christmas songs. And then we have the Mount Blanchard um, Chancel Choir. This is all in the church sanctuary. It's free. It's beautiful music. If if the weather's too cold for you or something, you don't want to run around downtown seeing Santa or doing the cakewalks or something like that, you can just and have a great time just sitting in the sanctuary listening to this Wonderful music and yeah. productions. Uh, so make it a point to uh, drop by and, and check out some of the uh, music, uh, along with all the other things that are happening uh, throughout the village. Most of it is uh, there in the uh, central uh, area of the village, right? Right, the, the right downtown right. there. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and uh, again, the uh, Christmas in the Village event is from 2 to 7. The parade is right at 2 to kick everything off. Correct. Okay. And then the home tours, uh, as you uh, had mentioned, uh, those are three to seven. Tell us a little bit more about uh, about the home tours. We have five beautiful homes on tour, and uh, they are in and around Mount Blanchard, so not, not all of them right in Mount Blanchard. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the home of Darren and Matt Shaw. Shall I do the addresses? Sure. Uh, okay. Well, it, just the, the names probably, okay. because you'll have the, the maps and everything, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Staring at Matt Shaw, Jackie and Gary Porcello, their home is right in Mount Blanchard. Annie That's and, a name that I recognize. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Annie and Christopher Vent. Uh, Jan and Ron Keller, again, they're right in Mount Blanchard as well. And Kay and John Livingston, all beautifully decorated homes. Uh, we are very fortunate that these people have allowed their homes to be opened to the public and we encourage everybody to come and see them now do you need tickets in advance for that you can get tickets at the old bank in mount blanchard Mm -hmm. or at melberry market okay the day of the day of or before and if folks are not familiar with uh, the village of Mount Blanchard, you've got the maps, as we mentioned, we so do. that you can find all of those uh, right. homes. So Yes. And, and Chris, I just wanted to mention the Boy Scouts are doing chili mm. and hot chocolate and hot dogs, too. That's part of our food that will be available. Very good. Christmas in the village tradition, <laughs> the Boy Scouts chili. Such a uh, wonderful event. And again, the quintessential small town uh, Christmas. The beautification committee, as you mentioned, uh, really kind of uh, spearheads taking all of this as kind of an offshoot uh, from that, which is, has been a, uh, a concerted effort over the past uh, several years. So Yes, we've, we're um, fortunate that we have a great committee that works well together. And we... Um, our main festival is Christmas in the Village, but we recently helped the um, community purchase some street lamps downtown that are decorated beautifully for the um, event, thanks to our village administrator, Dan Clements, and his gang. Um, but, you know, we try to do fundraisers and things so that we can have events. It's a small town, but we have a lot of heart. Absolutely. Uh, again, it all starts with the parade at 2 o'clock on Saturday. And everything uh, continues uh, throughout the day. 
As you mentioned, you've got a, a Facebook page with uh, all of the uh, details, the schedule of events, and, and so on. We've got it linked up at our webpage, too, at goodmornings.net. And again, uh, Jackie Porcello and Karen Beard, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks Thank for having you. us. Christmas in the Village in Mount Blanchard coming up this weekend. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Check us out online coming up tomorrow. Moving forward with the process of moving Findlay forward. We have details on an open house to unveil the progress on the city's strategic plan thus far and what will happen next. Committee Chair Jeff Wobser will join us. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.